It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Wednesday. A few rain showers rolled through the area, but uh, didn't amount to a whole lot. Some of you may be still getting some of those. Well, we're going to be talking in the next uh, talking about what we're going to be talking about in the next couple hours here on the roundtable discussion. Bob Brogan in here with me, and uh, we'll check in with sports. We'll check in with Susan Littlefield, though, first as we get an update on what's going on in farm right now. Susan? Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on the midday from the farm team. At 12.19, we're going to finish up part two conversation with Don Caldwell about the Beef Open Show and more information about how cattle producers can get their livestock signed up. And then we're going to hear from Chabella Guzman at 12.45 with Bureau Challenges. And then Haley wraps up everything with the Nebraska Cattlemen Panel on Local Beef Processing. That's the happenings on the midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate it. I got a chance last night with Jason to call a baseball game in Cozad, and we've got about three of those in got a couple more to do absolutely gorgeous night to call a baseball game ended up being a pretty tight game as Gothenburg beat Cozad seven to five but that that was just nice to get back into it and so that's really the big question that w- that is uh, around all of sports is when do we get into it Ed Orgeron the head coach at LSU has said uh uh, it, we need to. He said, I don't think we can make take this away from our players, take it away from our state and our country. He said, we need football. Football is the lifeblood of our country. So uh, he's, it was pretty clear, and Mike Pence was uh, there for a little roundtable town hall discussion in Ed Orgeron. Now, I wish I could do an Ed Orgeron uh, impression because it probably didn't really understand most of the words that he said, but... Uh, he said them pretty well. Nebraska baseball continues to pull in some good recruits, and uh, Will Bolt has four more to add to the roster. We'll get to his thoughts on that. The Nebraska men's basketball team, uh, well, they're they're hanging on. They're they're delaying season ticket renewals for now. Now the Nebraska men's basketball team is scheduled to tip off on November tenth against Cleveland State. They'll be playing an exhibition against Peru State before that, so we'll see. We'll also talk some Major League Baseball. That's scheduled to come up. That's all coming up on sports for this afternoon as I fill in for Jason. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan now as uh, he takes a look at business and uh, stocks. You know, it's it's interesting to me, Bob, to see the Dow Jones Industrial Average, we've seen this the last couple of days, be up as much as it is in the NASDAQ to be down. So it's a kind of a mixed bag again. Yeah, the stocks are uh, broadly higher on Wall Street. And uh, I guess the, the reason or the hook is that there's a possible coronavirus vaccine in the, in the works. The S&P climbed 1% in the early trade. The Early-stage testing of the first COVID-19 vaccine candidate to be tried in the U.S. revved up people's immune systems the way scientists had hoped, so that's kind of hope springs eternal, and uh, that's revving up the market today, too. Uh, Production at America's factories, utilities, and mines surged last month, but remained below pre-pandemic levels, and... uh, also, Hyundai is recalling a bunch of cars because of an electrical problem. All right, that's all coming up on... 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in studio with me here. And a few few showers rolled across kind of the I-80 corridor, but it didn't amount to a whole lot. Yeah, earlier they were fairly strong as they were just to the west of North Platte towards the Ogallala and Arthur area, but they gradually lost their punch of steam as they did kind of move to the east this morning. Just a little bit of light rain still left over in portions of central Nebraska from those rains from about Albion and Spalding down to around Loop City, St. Paul, and Ravenna. Maybe some straggler sprinklers, uh, sprinkles towards Arcadia, Orn, and Bartlett and on into north central Nebraska. And otherwise, starting to quiet down, maybe also a few sprinkles towards Phillipsburg and Smith Center right now. Our friends in southeast Nebraska, though, they got, uh, they got drenched. Yes, over three inches of rain falling in the Fall City area and many areas of Central and East Kansas reporting rainfall totals of one to three inches. There was a real solid shield of rain earlier this morning when I came in, and uh, we're seeing numerous reports still pop up of two to three inches of rain in northeast Kansas and also some flooding issues, but uh, some definitely needed moisture in some areas that were previously pretty dry. Right now we have temperatures across the area pretty much in the upper 60s to low 70s. Also starting to see quite a bit of clearing in western and central areas of Nebraska. Basically that clearing line starting to make its way through about the Broken Bow and O'Neill area. Down to around Lexington and Kearney. Some partly to mostly cloudy skies there. And then Ogallala into North Platte and points off towards the northwest. Seeing a lot more sunshine and once again those temperatures at a very comfortable level in the upper 60s to low 70s. Also pretty comfortable as far as humidity goes. Many of us with dew points still only in the upper 50s to low 60s. That's actually pretty low for this time of year. With high pressure pushing in from the north, today will be increasingly sunny with temperatures about 10 degrees below average. Tonight, a mainly clear and dry night with high pressure overhead. Our temperatures more seasonal, though, for tomorrow and Friday as some south winds return on the backside of high pressure sliding off towards the east. With the approach of a warm front and a return of moisture, some thunderstorms are possible by tomorrow into tomorrow night. Heat and humidity on the way for Saturday when that warm front tracks to the east and a ridge of high pressure builds north across the plains. On Saturday, the combination of heat and humidity will make it feel as high as 100 to 105. Sunday's temperatures will still be slightly warmer than usual. In behind a cold front that moves through for Saturday night, the expected stalling of that front will lead to multiple chances of thunderstorms as we head towards Sunday through Tuesday. Temperatures by Monday and Tuesday cooling to slightly below normal. In our long-term forecast, the cooling of temperatures only for a short period of time. Temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the U.S. expected to be mostly above normal for Monday through July 28th, especially in those later periods. Some positive news, though, for rain. For the early half of next week, Nebraska rainfall expected to be above normal, while Kansas expects near-normal rainfall. Late next week through July 28th, Nebraska rainfall expected to be near-normal, Kansas rainfall back to below-normal. Weather factors impacting market trade include timely rain moving through the Midwest and the continued impact of dryness and wheat yields of Europe and Russia. A weakening cold front is crossing the plains and Midwest, while a second front expected to arrive across the northern plains and upper Midwest late this week. Five-day rain totals in the Midwest could reach about one to two inches. Monsoon moisture coming up over the four corners will become a little more established. That interaction between the monsoon moisture and those two cold fronts will result in thunderstorms on the plains as far south as the Texas northern panhandle. In the western Midwest, the moderate to heavy rain through tomorrow is timely for some crops, especially towards Iowa where the month started off on a dry note. 
Widespread heat stress in the Midwest not expected. In the Southern Plains, moderate to heavy rain into earlier today favors crops now in the reproductive stage. The Northern Plains will continue with periods of rain through the rest of the week. The rain and seasonal temperatures a benefit to the spring wheat and row crops. In the Black Sea region in Europe, wheat yields are lower from a dry spring. Scattered rain this week will benefit Ukraine and western Russia, but may be more isolated in eastern areas. For crop areas of Europe, light to locally moderate rain the next seven days will favor summer crops, but continue to slow down their wheat harvest. We're looking at about a uh, 40-degree string here of weather, aren't we? It's going to really warm up a lot. Exactly, yeah. Enjoy these nice temperatures today. Back to seasonal for tomorrow, but then starting to go above normal for Friday into the weekend. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. We're learning more today about the alternative open-class beef show that's going to take place at the Nebraska State Fair. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Don Caldwell, who's not only a beef producer but sits on the board of directors for the Nebraska State Fair, talks more about the event that's going to take place in the middle of the week. So September 2nd through the 4th, um, with cattle coming in the evening of the 1st, um, and then we'll have shows as we have in the past um, on that Wednesday and Thursday. And actually, Friday evening is when the feeder calf jackpot will take place. That's always been a really big event. And the key purpose for that, of course, is for those those breeders to be able to showcase the calves for kids that may want to purchase them and use them as their projects for 4-H or FFA for next year as they, as they start their next project already because we're winding up this year's. So we want to make sure that we have that close, you know, to one of the youth events. And knowing that FFA members are able to enter feeder calves as one of their projects, we wanted to give them that opportunity to also enter their feeder calf in that jackpot show. So we tied it um, right, right to their event on Labor Day weekend. Well, entries for the Open Class Beef Show open yet this week. Um, they close the 10th of August, so they've got some time to decide what they're going to bring. They do, and thankfully, I know some people had cattle and getting them ready. They were waiting to hear something. I think we were in the nick of time so that they didn't just go turn those cattle out that they maybe had had in the barn that they had been working with. Um, so, yes, we have from July 15th through August 10th for regular entries, um, and then there is a late entry fee time frame from the 11th through the 15th. But I think we'll get a lot of people. And, and to be very transparent, Susan, we, we will require a, you know, a, a good number of cattle to be entered to be able to justify. There is a set core um, budget to be able to put this on. And we're really going to need, you know, 750 to 800 entries to be able to to facilitate this event for the exhibitors. So we think we'll be able to do that. We've had over 1,100 the past several years. Um, so we, you know, we certainly believe that we'll be able to offer this experience for everybody, this event for them to showcase their, their livestock and hopefully get some sales for their farm. Um and still preserve funds and not put the fair in a financial situation, making it even more challenging in years to come. 
And again, it, it puts something in the barns over the during the week. It gives folks something to see when they want to come to the state fair. Uh, they can walk through the barns, socially distancing, doing all of that, and and have those conversations. Absolutely. Not to mention, we will have some food vendors, perhaps a handful of other vendors, um, some of the more boutique or you know pitch vendors that like to like to sell their wares they will be outdoors this year we will not have them in the expo building like we have in the past Uh, those who wish to come will be out there in front of the livestock barns and so you know if we have food vendors taverns maybe a few um, other vendors with things for people to look at and see plus they can step in and enjoy the livestock for a little while it does give folks a reason to come out to the fairgrounds and, and embrace what is all Nebraskan, which is livestock and good people. That's Don Caldwell. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports, and Scott Foster is now joining me. And well, Scott, I'm trying to trying to make sure I can get my mouth working here means real spicy. <laughs> Good thing it's some spice You're not sauce. Doing the sports here, you oh. wouldn't be able to make it through. Goodness, my mouth is on fire. Okay. So that's all right. Uh, in sports, is what we're all here for today. Uh, it sounds like there were some big signings for baseball. At least they wrapped up uh, their class. Is it this year's class or, or next year's class? This is this is for the signing for next year's class. Yeah. Okay, Husker yeah. baseball. Husker baseball. You know they will both done a nice job. Nebraska baseball coach and his staff announced the signing of four student athletes on Wednesday who complete this year's late spring roster additions. Newcomers Chance Rock, and which is a good name, Luke Sartori, another good name, Mac, Mac, Max Anderson and Cam Wynn join junior college transfers Jake Buns and Cody Frank, who signed with the uh, Huskers on April 16th. This is what Will Bolt said about it. We could not be more excited about the group and the caliber of players and persons that these uh, guys are on and off the field bolt said the character makeup and the talent in this group is exceptional we put together a group of players who are both the have both the physical tools and the intangibles that are needed in order for a ball club to win at a high level and this was a total team effort he said and of course it was a difficult time to recruit uh, you sure. know you really it was you needed different strengths and uh, maybe the well both bold staff really did a good job with that. Let me just say this about one of the guys, Max Anderson, mm-hmm. who is the Nebraska Gatorade Baseball Player of the Year. Saw him play last summer in the Class A state uh, tournament or whatever in Kearney. And dude's a stud. Really? Studs. Uh, beautiful swing. I think he hit a couple home runs in the couple games that I did. Uh, played for Omaha or Miller North, I believe. Yeah, whatever. Okay. One of those schools in Omaha. But really, really good baseball player. From what I've seen, his credentials look like they're there. So take that as you will, but hmm. it looks like uh, Coach Bolt's got a good one. I'll tell you what, you keep everybody in-house if you can. That's, that's thing, too. Yeah. Uh, that's a good thing. Well, we got to do some COVID stuff here. And the Nebraska men's basketball team is delaying uh, season ticket renewals for the 2020-2021 season. The athletic department announced in an email to ticket holders sent on Tuesday. The news comes as Coll- Collegiate Athletic considers how to... Safely return to competition. Husker football season ticket renewals have uh, proceeded as as usual with 93% renewal rate 
as of June. The men's basketball team, and, and this is why everybody's so excited with this openers. <laughs> November 10th, they'll open against Cleveland State, but uh, that exhibition game on November 2nd against Peru State, that's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, now let's go to football. The University of Michigan says fewer fans, if any, will attend games at the Big House if the Wolverines play college football games this year. The athletic department says a final decision will be made after conferring with medical experts, the school's leadership, and the Big Ten Conference. Of course, the Big House, 107,601. Not a very loud stadium anyway, but uh, you don't have anybody in there. It's cavernous. I saw the NFL also, they're leaving up to each team and each state as well to how they're going to handle how many people can come in there. But what I do know is we're not going to see any stadium at full capacity uh, f- uh, to the end of all the sports until next spring, possibly, mm. and maybe not even then into next summer. So it's just not going to happen if we have any fans. Be lucky if you're able to go at this point. Yeah, it looks that way, and this is why the Tennessee Volunteers reported multiple positive reports of COVID-19 mm. after the university ran a batch of tests last week. The tests were conducted after the 4th of July holiday weekend. A spokesman says the positive tests spanned multiple sports and that's an important statement there tennessee previously had two basketball players test positive with both clearing quarantine tennessee is bringing athletes back to campus in phases with football being the first on june 8th so we'll see how that all goes but uh for now we can at least say baseball starting uh next week hopefully that is the hope Everybody is on board. It looks like we're going to proceed. The only thing that could be a hiccup is we've heard MLB having issues getting the test back in time. So there have been a lot of, because a lot of players have been just held out of warm-ups or practices or these interleague games, intra-squad games, I should say, that they've been playing because of that. So let's hope July 24th, 25th, first pitch of this weird 60-game schedule, and let's hope it happens. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. You bet. Ricketts says repeal of the state's mandatory motorcycle helmet law is something he can't get behind. Ricketts gave his thoughts Monday during his statewide radio call-in program in response to a caller who said many motorcycle riders on their way to the annual Sturgis South Dakota Motorcycle Rally held in early August bypassed Nebraska because of the state's helmet law. This has actually been an ongoing issue here in Nebraska. and Actually, I'm on your side. I'm a motorcycle rider. I was before I became governor. And uh, I would never ride without a helmet. But um, I also believe, as you do, that we all allow people to make choices on this. And actually, this is something that has been tried for many years to change the law here in Nebraska. I remember talking about this with Senator Bloomfield when he was still in the legislature. And he actually had data from Michigan that showed when they repealed their helmet law, uh, motorcycle fatalities actually dropped. Governor Ricketts learned during the program that Senator Ben Hansen submitted a bill, LB-378, in 2019, aimed at repeal of the helmet law in 2019. He encouraged the listener to contact the senator and get more information about the status of the bill. Nebraska health statistics show more than 400 people have been diagnosed with coronavirus so far this week. The state's online virus tracker shows 174 cases were reported Sunday and another 227 were reported on Monday, bringing the state's total to nearly 20,400. Of the total, 16,025 have recovered from the virus. The total number of deaths attributed to COVID-19, 
the disease caused by the virus, had reached 288 by the end of Monday. State officials say 41% of Nebraska's hospital beds, 45% of the intensive care beds, and 80% of the ventilators in the state remain available Tuesday. Omaha Public Schools have approved a nearly $1 million settlement for the family of a young student who was sexually assaulted by a former elementary school teacher. The Omaha World Herald reports that the district school board approved a $935,000 settlement Monday night. The money will go to the family of a girl assaulted by Gregory Sedlacek, a former teacher at Fontenelle Elementary School who is serving decades in prison for molesting six students. Last month, the board approved a $625,000 settlement with the family of another student whom Sedlacek assaulted. The Seward County Sheriff's Office has arrested the superintendent of Centennial Public Schools on suspicion of child abuse and third-degree sexual assault. Timothy DeWard, age 56, of Utica, was released after posting a $50,000 bond. It stems from an investigation involving a high school-age student. The Seward County Sheriff's Office is conducting the ongoing investigation with assistance from the York County Sheriff's Office and are working closely with Centennial School officials. DeWard has been superintendent at Centennial since 2007. He was superintendent at Tri-County Public Schools, Valentine Rural High School, and Eustis Farnham Public Schools. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Lynn. The Bureau of Reclamation is launching a 550000 prize competition entitled Guardians of the Reservoir, looking for innovative ways to remove sediment from our reservoirs. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Brenda Berman, Commissioner of the Bureau of Reclamation, says right now it's very difficult and expensive to get sediment out of reservoirs. There's a couple different ways you can do it. You can flush it out if you've designed a system that will let water flush through a reservoir, or you can start dredging. Uh, Not only is that very expensive, it's very hard to do in deep reservoirs. And it's hard to keep up with. It's hard to find a way to dredge that you can keep up with how much sediment is coming in. So here comes the prize challenge. When your regular engineering and research hasn't found a solution, we have found that prize challenges bring out the best in Americans. They can come in and apply and come up with their innovative solutions. The reclamation just celebrated its 118th birthday, and Berman explains their mission from day one. Back in 1902, Teddy Roosevelt, along with Congress, created reclamation. And what he wanted was for the West to have the same economic uh, abilities, the same economic chances as the East Coast had. Uh, But he knew that in the West, our, our greatest challenge is water. Our ability to have reliable water supplies through the winter, through the summer, through floods, through droughts. Uh, But it also means that we serve over 10 million acres of agriculture. We serve about one in five farmers in the West. Reclamation oversees a vast network of dams and reservoirs, which are also around 100 years old or more. Sediment has been gathering in reservoirs for decades, with more than 350 reservoirs in the West. Berman says about 15% of the storage is being affected by sediment. She says the Bureau has been working on the problem. That's what we do. We have major dredging operations in many places across the West. Uh, The Colorado River is an example where it's almost uh, constant. Uh, We are looking at, we have different flushing flows uh, that we use on different systems uh, in order to move sediment to keep the channel clear, to make sure that our deliveries can go through. 
Nebraska and Wyoming are fed water from the North Platte River project, which includes the Guernsey Reservoir. The reservoir feeds irrigators, and it is one with a built-in silt flush running yearly to benefit the reservoir and the irrigators. Berman says not all are so lucky. But just looking at Kansas, uh, Lovewell Dam and Reservoir over in Jewell County, it's a reservoir that was built back in 1905. Since that time, we've measured about a 15% loss in capacity due to sedimentation. And so uh, we know that's an issue and we know it needs to be addressed. So that that affects upstream uses, that affects downstream users, it affects our ability to deliver reliable water supplies. Irrigation and recreation are not the only uses the West enjoys from reservoirs, but also power. Berman says hydropower from Grand Coulee and the Hoover Dam is based on the water behind the dam in the reservoirs. So, for example, the hydro generation on Grand Coulee, our largest uh, power plant, is probably in in the United States, uh, or Hoover, uh, which are much larger productions, is based on how much water is in the reservoirs behind them. But what happens, whether because of drought or because of sediment, when you have less water, you have less head. And that means less weight kind of pushing down on that water. And the more heads you have, the more power you can produce. Uh, it makes it more valuable. It gives you the ability to produce more power. So by removing sediment, by increasing our storage area, we are not only improving our reliable water supplies, but we're improving our ability to generate carbon-free, renewable hydropower. Berman says reclamation has always been about the people in the West and providing them with water. We have been partners for over 118 years across the West about how do we make water supplies reliable. And we don't do that by ourselves. We do that with the local community. Uh, It's so important to us to make sure that water remains reliable uh, through the 21st century. So we're looking for those new ideas. Uh, We are working with our partners in the community. And uh, that's our job. We're going to make sure that water supply is reliable in the West. The Bureau of Reclamation has only two tools in the box with dredging and flushing right now. So Reclamation is partnering with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, NASA Tournament Lab, and Hero X on the competition. Berman explains more on the competition. The winners uh, will share about $550,000. And we, the prize competition is in three phases. The first phase, you have to apply by October. And the idea being that with each phase, we will uh, kind of winnow down what is truly practical and doable on the ground. So we are looking for all ideas. And after that first phase, we will move on to the more practical stages. So the first stage is about ideas. And then through phase two and three, we will move down to practical on the ground, uh, spending uh, the money and bringing the prize money so we have the ability to see, does this really work? Is this going to help us get sediment out of those reservoirs? To learn more, Google Guardians of the Reservoir or visit the Bureau of Reclamation's website. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Most of Wall Street is rising with hopes for a COVID-19 vaccine. Investors see a vaccine as the best way for the economy and human life to get back to normal. 
And researchers said late yesterday that one developed by the National Institutes of Health and Moderna revved up people's immune systems in early testing as hoped. The S&P 500 was up five-tenths of a percent in its first day of trading since the announcement, though it had given up most of an earlier 1.3% gain by midday. The majority of stocks in the S&P 500 and other indexes remained higher despite the loss of, of momentum. Production at America's factories, utilities, and mines surged last month, but remained well below pre-pandemic levels. The Federal Reserve said today that U.S. industrial production rose 5.4% in June, the second straight monthly gain, but it was still 10.9% below the level in February before the economy locked down in the face of the coronavirus. The White House says an opinion piece by its trade advisor that's critical of Dr. Anthony Fauci is the advisor's opinion alone. Alyssa Farah, White House Director of Strategic Communications, tweeted today the piece by trade advisor Peter Navarro didn't go through normal White House clearance processes and is the opinion of Peter alone. Farah adds that President Donald Trump values the expertise of the medical professionals advising the administration but Trump has also broken with Fauci and publicly accused him of making mistakes in his public guidance about combating the virus. Days after reopening two theme parks amid a spike in coronavirus cases in Florida, Walt Disney World is welcoming back visitors to two more theme parks that had been shuttered since March because of the new coronavirus. The Florida theme park resorts opened Epcot and Disney's Hollywood Studios on Wednesday. It completed a rolling opening of Disney World's theme parks that started last weekend with Magic Kingdom and the Animal Kingdom welcoming back visitors. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rogan. It's time once again for our annual Growing Wheat Well here on the Rural Radio Network. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to be hearing from farm broadcasters as they speak to the experts within the wheat industry to find out how the 2020 crop is growing and what may be coming as we hit 2021 with new technology. And if you happen to miss one of our Growing Wheat Well segments, don't worry. You can find it all at RuralRadio.com. Be tuning in. Growing Wheat Well on the Rural Radio Network. A closer look on what you need to know about local beef processing. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you back here on the Rural Radio Network. That was the focus of a recent webinar and panel discussion held by the Nebraska Cattlemen in conjunction with the University of Minnesota and Preston Crell out of Kentucky and the Nebraska Department of Agriculture. Here, Preston Crell, who's been in the business for 15 years, talks about what it looks like for those interested in maybe starting their own operation. What I would ask myself is how much time can I afford to be can I afford to spend doing it, and what is can I keep my day job while I'm doing it? Because it will, in 99 cases out of 100, you will fail if you're counting on this new venture to pay your salary, pay for the farm, pay a mortgage, do these things. It's not going to. I don't care what your performance says. It's not going to work out that way. But. If you can start with a freezer beef for two or 10, or if you're, if you're a, um, a robust marketing person, 20, and, uh, and find some customers and organize some processing, figure out the logistics, it can be really rewarding. And, and so if you do that and start slowly, then I would say the top priority is to have excellent accounting. Because when you're doing it at a small scale, it's very easy to 
kind of lose time in the business. And those, those things add up when you have to pay somebody to do it. So you want to have very precise accounting on the time you spend doing this and, and a realistic expectation of how your economies of scale bring that down on a per piece basis as you grow. Um, but, you know, I, I have nothing but encouragement for people that want to, you know, sell a beef to neighbors or sell 10 beef to neighbors and keep doing everything else they're doing. I have nothing but caution for people that want to start from scratch and go out and get a big bank loan and, and get into the meat business. It's, it's possible and some have made it work that way, but it's the exception, not the rule. Laura Field, legislative coordinator for the Nebraska Department of Agriculture, talks about some of the unique circumstances that we're facing here in Nebraska when it comes to local processors. The idea and conversation was somewhat spurred by current circumstances with the pandemic as we have seen issues uh, with processing. We've actually been having those conversations as to if we could wave a magic wand and and have access to either the funding or the resources what would that be um you know there are there are a number of resources available for through the university of nebraska extension and even from you know sample forms i think to preston's point the one thing that we hear people say is getting your facility ready and getting a hasa plan and, and sops in place are the are the things that are often people may not be prepared on how to deal with and so that and how to process the product, but um, finding opportunities for people to attend seminars and workshops. Um, the University of Nebraska has worked um, kind of with five states in this region to host some of those opportunities um, for, you know, approved passive training seminars so that um, people can come learn how to write those plans and work through those. Um, we, I think, are always open to looking for opportunities. I know, um, I know Ashley's going to talk about it at the end, but there's some federal legislation that's been introduced to put in place grants for some of these facilities to upgrade. And so those are the kinds of things that I think we're always kind of keeping our, our eyes open to to see if we can help get information out to anybody who's interested. Many other questions were covered in the webinar and you can find the full webinar by visiting NebraskaCattlemen.org. I'm Shaylee Peters and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Um. Play Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. And as the grain settlements start to come in, John, this Chicago wheat really making some big moves, taking Kansas City up with it. What is really getting behind these wheat markets today? Supply tightness for one. Uh, you know, this is the one market, if you look out, it's we don't have enough of it. I think that and rice are the two markets that are we're tight on right now. So, We'll see how long we can hold. I imagine you're going to see folks south of you plant, maybe not Kansas, but south, way southeast of you, uh, planting some more soft red weed this year. Um, but until we can get that in the ground, the market's going to have to deal with what they have. And, um, you know, China buying is, is music to their ears. Kind of says more about corn than wheat. I think wheat up 24 after a day when China is thinking about buying. Yesterday we see confirmed purchases from China, and we're down a penny or two. And I think that kind of tells the story here in corn. As we look across as well, U.S. dollar index continues to be friendly. We haven't heard a lot of news from the Fed. Can we expect this deflationary pressure to continue? Yeah, probably for a while. I mean, I said the next two weeks, we're going to talk about it every day or almost every day. What's going to happen with the CARES Act? Are they going to extend unemployment insurance? And those are all things that affect currency. And 
Uh, I think that's um, that's what the trade is waiting on here. I think the announcement that a vaccine is in, in cards is certainly bullish news. Uh, it doesn't matter the market, but uh, markets like uh, like the grains are going to have to need to see some supply problems here in the short run. So, short term, uh, give me a shout. Uh, I mean, short term, I think it'll it, it'll give opportunities, but there's just nothing here long term uh, without a, without a currency change to really see a change. Now, we've continued to see some steady buying by China. There was the video flowing around that Reuters was talking about with the moldy corn possibly in northeast China. They haven't been able to confirm that, but do you think that's what's continued, the strength behind their buying sprees? Yeah. So, Chinese data, we get annual weather radar, and what we've heard, they're having a difficult moment. There's a lot of flooding in this kind of more southeastern part of the country. China's a lot like the U.S. in, in, in its geography. So the more northern areas where the grains grow, that area hasn't been hit as hard. But, um, you know, the fact that China's buying, I think it confirms maybe more than, more than what we know, especially around phase one and then around kind of what is actually in, the, in their coffers. They claim to have a lot of grain around, but they're certainly not behaving on it this year. Now, that is going to be for phase one, too. Again, John Payne with Daniel Zag Marketing. More at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Grains close broadly higher across the board, but with Chicago wheat leading it higher, 24 in the September contract. All right, thank you very much, Clay. Well, that'll wrap up today's midday program. If you missed anything, we podcast it. That's available on iTunes or at krvn.com. Our midday podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motors. Coming up in just a few moments, it's KRVN News, brought to you by the NATA Group, Nebraska Aviation Trade Association. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DeveniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Deveni deal. 